Hold in Court with Mike Trevelyan and Dean Sheridan. Hi everybody and welcome back to Holding Court. This is a slightly later than usual edition, but uh, that's just due to the fact that I got very, very drunk on Saturday and then Mike's been very, very busy since. It is one of the problems with not getting paid for the things that you love is that sometimes you have to do the things you get paid for first or be hungover. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So yes, sorry about that. But welcome back to Holding Court or welcome for the first time to Holding Court. If this is the first time you've tuned in, this is a show where I speak to my learned barrister friend, Michael Trevelyan, and we discuss crazy court cases, legal cases, crimes, etc. We discuss them, we make fun of them if we can, if it's not too serious, and maybe learn something along the way as Michael enlightens us as into the world of law how are you mike yeah i'm good thank you dean we are in the middle aren't we of what can only be described as an apocalyptic heat wave so uh, i'm in the situation where all of my outdoor business needs to be transacted either before 9 a.m or after about 10 p.m because there is simply no point in going outside um, during the rest of the day. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those lovely times where I spend a bit of time sort of staring out of the window and uh, then of an evening read a book. So, yeah, can't really complain. How are things with you? They're good. This heat wave is murdering me a bit by bit. I'm kind of hoping for soon the sun to explode and then we just <laughs> be left with a nice cooling after effect because the annoying thing about heat is you can only get so naked whereas <laughs> with with cold you can put on as as much clothing as need be that's true that's true have you taken to putting your underwear in the freezer no i haven't because i've never done that but i think we might be getting to that stage where yes. that becomes a thing to do i, um, I imagine d- that'd be quite nice i've done the bog roll in the freezer Yes, although that's to resolve a different problem. (laughs) That's to resolve a different problem, yeah. But I'm sure it'll be just as soothing. But uh, yeah, we'll see. So uh, everybody, try putting your underwear in the freezer. I may have to give that a try. I may get it ready for this evening when we go to the local quiz. Yes, absolutely. Uh, A quiz that you are mastering by way of quiz master, uh, rather than being exceptionally good at quizzes. Yes. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Well, that's what I like about it is that you can get the role of quizmaster, even though all you've really got to do is look up questions and answers and just repeat them to people, and then look slightly disappointed when they get them wrong. Sort of like a, is it Paxman in a yes. University <laughs> Challenge? And every time, in you, so I don't know, did, did they have University Challenge over the seas internationally? I'm not quite sure. It's it's basically a show where yeah, different teams from different universities go up against each other, and they have ridiculously tough questions usually based on some specialist subjects science etc and Paxman will just reel something off that a most of the time I can't understand what the question was let alone how to begin to understand how to answer that question and then when they get it wrong he usually gives them a nice condescending response like wrong like it was so obvious that they should have got (laughs) it right in the first place absolutely I mean it is astonishing because I, I mean, I assume Paxman doesn't know all this stuff either. I assume he's doing it like a quiz master and is just, you know, reading off the, the paper. Um, so he doesn't really earn the entitlement to be as condescending <laughs> as as he is sometimes. But um, but it is a great show. 
I don't feel if he does it. know everything that he's saying, then he is the smartest, all-encompassing man in the universe. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be an astonishing range of knowledge. But this is, I think, something... I think the the skill of quiz mastering, and, and you know, forgive me, I mean no disrespect, has been slightly degraded by the advent of the internet because I presume that there was a time when, you know, quiz masters would have to either be really knowledgeable or they'd have to invest in like big books of quiz questions or something and pick out good ones but it seems to me nowadays you can just kind of google you know 20 quiz questions and i do, uh, I do always on. try and go for things that i know or understand think always uh, sort of subject matter because i do like to know that it also makes it easier when going through the answers and things for the questions because you already know it especially in like a picture rounds and things i just choose the picture round and i know usually all the answers etc but then also to try and capture the uh, catch out the the big quiz teams that that like to go around, then you you need to try and go a bit tougher than probably my own set of knowledge. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I suppose also you always have the the danger of a of a challenge from the audience, and you need to appear as though you're on top of your questions, don't you? Really? That, oh yeah, I, I had a, I actually had a challenge. About Did you? What was the challenge? So, the challenge was, I said, how many, and this is before Black Widow was released, I said, how many films had been released in the MCU mm-hmm. so far? Okay. Right. And I think the answer was 23. Okay. So there was a, a lot of people got that straight away as in, what well, not the correct answer, but got one I was on about. And then there was a group that started arguing with me <laughs> uh, because <laughs> they had included things like Fantastic Four and X-Men and the original Spider-Man films. And I was like, no, 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 no. In the MCU, which is the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the extended universe, which is the one which is all in the same place together. But they were like, no, it's wrong. And then one of them got really annoyed with me and was like, well, he just hasn't asked the correct question. I was like, but I have. I was like, that is what it is. But it just became, I just had to accept. And they were like, okay, we're going to put this, but you've asked me wrong. And I was like, I was like, okay, all right. I can't bother to try and argue what the cinematic, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is. But like, you know, that is what it is. MCU is MCU. So you either know it or you don't. But yeah, I I can understand where they were coming from, but also, no. (laughs) Well, no, exactly. Exactly. And that's the sort of argumentative attitude from the customers that should allow you to bring down your MC hammer. And put a stop to it. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, Mjolnir or something? Thor's hammer. Ex- yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> this is yes, my that's MC right. hammer. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. So what are we? What are we doing today, Dean? Okay, so today we are going to start with our first little case, and let me just get it ready. So this is quite interesting. And so I was watching uh, a YouTuber I quite like. He's a guy called Donut, uh, and he. The sort of he's an ex police officer in um, in America, and he now does sort of breakdowns of of videos of of police cameras. You know when they approach suspects, uh, he'll do like a bit of a chat of maybe how the officer could have could have um, done better if it, if it goes wrong. Sometimes their shootings, etc. And it, it's just it's quite an interesting channel. And then he did one about uh, a guy called Benny Edwards in Oklahoma, who was a black homeless man who was shot three times whilst running away from the police officer, which sparked uh, a lot of protests, Black Lives Matter uh, and other activists. And this was in February of this year. And so then this officer, I think, has been charged with aggravated manslaughter. 
I think that's what it's called. And I need to get the exact wording of that, but definitely manslaughter for having shot three times the suspect in the back whilst running away. Now, it, it seems pretty open and shut when you read it in that way. But then when I watched this video that broke down the interactions prior to everything that had happened, this man, Benny Edwards, is a homeless man who obviously had mental health issues and was sat outside. They called the police to come and talk to him because he was uh, supposedly harassing people in this shopping center. So he was just outside of a shopping center. And in this video, which I, I won't show you because I wasn't quite sure if you want to see someone get shot. He, they come up and they try and, you know, get, settle him down. But he's got a knife in his hand. And what actually happens is they use the taser twice. And they use some pepper spray first before the man runs at one of the police officers with a knife in his hand. That police officer, I think, gets off one shot that hits him in the arm. You don't really see it on the video, to be fair. It's so fast and so you, you can't you can't really make anything out. But the way it's broken down is he gets shot and then and then he goes to run away with still with his knife in his hand, at which point is when the police officer shoots him the three more times and he falls. And then he ends up obviously dying. So in the breakdown of this this video, I, I sort of thought to myself, okay, all right. He did run at a police officer with a knife and he still had the knife in his hand while he was running away, which I thought would mean that he could possibly be a danger to other people. And then it's mentioned in the video of an older case that this police officer might be able to use sort of in his defense. So I think it's been talked about. I don't think they've gone to court or anything yet. So I don't think he's in prison because couldn't find any sort of major outcome. All of the articles were around about the time of it being reported and around about the time of the uh, the activists going out and the protests, etc. And not I couldn't really find anything more up to date. So if anyone is listening and knows more about this case that, or, or anything that's happened more recently since February, then please uh, message in. I wouldn't mind seeing how this came out. But basically the police force in Oklahoma where, where he's stationed said that we... We, we we want to stick by him because we believe he was he was lawful. So there was an old case that was sort of referenced in this video that I watched the YouTube video, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Tennessee versus Ghana, which basically states that basically you could shoot a, a fleeing suspect if you have suspect they pose a significant threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or to others. So if this officer says thinks this guy running with the knife poses a threat, which Technically, he could because I think within seconds of the sort of shooting, there's people shouting over, coming up. He's outside of a shopping center. But it says it was found that use of deadly force to prevent escape is an unreasonable seizure under the Fourth Amendment in the absence of probable cause that the fleeing suspect posed physical danger. So in Tennessee versus Gardner, actually, he, he was it was reversed. So at first they were like, yeah, he was... Um, he was able to do it, that it was okay that he shot this this kid. So in, in Tennessee versus Gardner, two police officers were dispatched to answer a burglary call. Officer Hyman, one of the police officers, went behind the house as his partner radioed back to the station. Hyman witnessed someone running across the yard, the fleeing sus suspect, Edward Garner, stopped at a six-foot-high chain-link fence. Using his flashlight, Hyman could see Garner's face and hands and was reasonably sure Garner was unarmed. The police testified that they believed Garner was 17 or 18 years old, but he was actually 15. Uh, after Hyman ordered Garner to halt, Garner began to climb the fence, believing that Garner would certainly flee if he made it over the fence. Hyman shot him. The bullet struck Garner in the back of the head, and he died shortly after an ambulance took him to a nearby hospital. So in that case, 
they use the argument of, you know, shooting fleeing suspect if they believe he could be of harm to others. But if he's reasonably sure that he wasn't armed, then it's slightly different than in this case where the suspect is actually running away holding a knife, a knife that he was holding when he had run at one of the other officers prior. So that this is a sort of the bit of case law that they, at least uh, the YouTube cop guy that I watch believes that he could possibly use as a, a, a sort of defense. Um, this was overturned, though, because I think more of about, you know, the situation in itself where it sounds like it easily could have been handled another way but based on the video evidence this is in 1974 this was and the video evidence these days uh, you know of cops wearing cameras is, is pretty can't really deny what you see on the camera and they've got it from about three different angles of the three different police officers that turned up to this event but uh, i was just wondering so the, the overall question is what do you believe is I mean, maybe they could have acted in a different way, but do you believe that this officer should be charged with manslaughter for the fact that, you know, an armed felon ran towards an officer and, and ran away with, with the knife? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because um, I, I haven't seen and I have no desire to see the video. You're quite right about that. Um, and so I do appreciate that it's it's a difficult thing for somebody to to comment on uh particularly because of course all of this stuff happens in a very short period of time i imagine uh you have seen the video i imagine it's relatively short in terms of the the period of, of action yeah. yeah the period of action there's, there's a bit of build up i think it's about a good five odd minutes long but yeah the actual everything that goes down talk to the shooting happens in you're talking about 10 seconds yeah so yeah, everything leading up to that is sort of, I guess, trying to be preventative. Like I say, they, they do use other things such as a taser and a pepper spray prior to everything really kicking off. Yeah, and this is the thing, isn't it? Because looking at it as a as a lawyer does, and and we you know, we do this in every kind of case where there's any kind of incident, is that you, you go through it in an almost forensic level of of detail, trying to analyse each individual second of what happens and trying to work out if somebody's doing the right or the wrong thing but it, it's one thing to do that analysis in the confines of a court well after the event and to try and weigh to a nicety what somebody could and should have done uh, but that's a very different exercise to that of somebody who's actually in that situation and is having to react quickly to developing situations uh, and so I, I say all of that because I think it's important to you know give that context to uh, what I am going to say because even recognizing the difficulty of making these decisions in short periods of time and the artificial nature of somebody like myself or another lawyer uh, looking at it in a slightly more um, less charged environment it seems to me that in circumstances where the police or a police officer has shot and killed someone. To my mind, there needs to be a, a very pressing, very compelling threat to justify the discharge of the firearm. If, for example, what, what I understand to be the case from what you've told me is that this chap effectively was running off with a knife, you know, just sort of running away, I think if... He, for example, was was running into a crowded shop 
or indeed was sort of running towards a particular member of the public, you know, knife outstretched, then that might be the level of threat that would justify the action that's taken to end it. But well, what um, if he had all, so he'd already run at a police officer with the knife, then the first police officer who isn't being charged, um, sort of out of, I wouldn't say panic, but, you know, like reaction shot at him, but only clipped him in the shoulder. Um, mm. It was then that he then ran the opposite direction. So he'd already ran at a police officer with the knife, and within a few seconds of that was then shot by the other police officer uh, at the other side of him three times. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it seems to me, what was the point of the first officer shooting at him? The point of that, presumably was to stop the immediate threat of him running towards the officer. And that seems to have been successful. So him having been shot once seems to have worked. Uh, and it seems to me then that the threat level, if you like, had gone down. And yet the response to that reduction in threat is actually to do something much worse than the original shooting that led to the reduction in the first place. So that seems to me to be a, a disproportionate or excessive use of force. Um, but I'm speaking about this purely from the point of view of somebody who isn't familiar with um, the, the US you know, regulations on, on the discharge of firearms by police officers. I'm not really speaking with my lawyer's hat on here. I'm speaking more just as a concerned member of the public, um, particularly based in the UK, where, of course, um, officers do not routinely carry guns in the same way that they do in the States. So the whole thing is is slightly more unusual to a, a UK-based listener than it might be to one of our American friends listening to the podcast. Do you know what level of threat it would have to be for a, a UK officer to, to send any form of armed response? I do not, uh, is the short answer. No, I don't. I wouldn't even like to guess. Yeah, I was just wondering, because I know they can still do things like we talked about swatting a few weeks ago. Mm. Or was that yeah. on our, was that on our last podcast? I think that may have been on the last podcast. Actually, swatting it was such a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we covered all manner of ground. It was incredible. Yeah, oh, um, yeah I need to, I, I need to recover that. Yeah, we talked about swatting on the the, the last podcast, which uh, for anyone who's un, unsure is the when people will prank call. Uh, the police to try and get a SWAT team sent to, I don't know, either a friend or a rival's house usually tends to be linked with video games quite a lot. And then they have the SWAT turn up at their house while they're playing video games that just to scare them. But in some aspects, occasionally it has uh, turned out to be fatal and someone has been shot due to this sort of pranking. And, and yeah, in, in the last episode, which I will recover, we do discuss sort of uh, the liability of the person who then pranks to call this SWAT team in to to do this and I was just wondering I'm pretty sure there was one or two UK cases there but then again I'm guessing they would have mentioned that there would have been some sort of firearm involved or a hostage situation usually well this is the thing because my sorry <laughs> I, I've got my windows open because of the heat wave and a gigantic moth has just landed on the curtains right next to me um which is cool. I, I'm in no way put off by moths, but this moth is huge, and I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> going back to to the issue of you know firearms and, and killing people, I think this is one of the things, isn't it? Because in our country, 
because officers don't routinely carry firearms, you have a very specially trained firearms response unit, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a degree of substantial escalation just by virtue of the fact that the police have then brought a firearms team to the scene of an you know, uh, to the scene of an offence or whatever it might be. Whereas in the states, because firearms are routinely carried, the escalation really is just to fire them. So, I I do think that it does lead to a circumstance in which the use of a firearm is kind of more normalised, and, and obviously in the US generally guns are more normalised. But I think if you have a circumstance where guns are reserved, not just for police officers, but for a certain subset of police officers like they are here in the UK, um, I think that leads to uh, a much more careful uh, attitude towards the use of guns in policing. Do you think there's like a, also a psychological element of training that I think needs to be implicated in any form of firearms, etc.? Because uh, this isn't even firearms, but there's a, there's always a discussion like, you know, the issue of knife crime in the UK, etc. They're usually in a point, especially, let's say, your gangs or you're out of town, someone pulls a knife. Once the knife is pulled, there's almost like, and I think this was in a, a TV program I watched as well, where they, they talked about the sort of psychological effect as once this was out, it's actually actually harder not to use it than it is to go ahead and use it so let's say it's like a gangs and someone pulls a knife on someone um it's often you know in a sort of confrontation way maybe not if they're just mugging someone but you know in that kind of way where it's like i'll outdo you by punching you and i'll outdo you by doing this and saving face etc and then eventually someone pulls out a knife it's almost impossible for it not to escalate any further, because once it's pulled, it's harder for someone to get their mindset back together to actually put the knife back away than to, to now they've pulled it out to show face to use it. And I think sometimes that sort of psychology comes along with guns as well. That's often once a gun is pulled, um, they're looking you have to give them a really, really good reason to put it back rather than just them trying to find any reason to put it back themselves. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I think the psychological aspect of, of weaponry is, is really interesting, as you say, because, you know, it does it does represent this kind of escalation. And then, you know, psychologically, what causes someone to diffuse a circumstance um, it is quite an interesting thing. But yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Um yeah, I, I presume it's part of, of gun training in, for American police officers so that they are uh, taught to try and act against that instinct and they're taught to be able to try and you know, de-escalate situations as needs be. But I'm sure um, still in the back of the brain, no matter how much training you get, those psychological factors are still at play, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. so when I, when I watched the video, yeah, it was a pretty tough one, I think. I don't think it's as straightforward as it sounded, the Ghana case sounded, of a young lad who didn't seem to be posing any threat, but was just sort of running away. Whereas there was a lot of heated moments, uh, especially when you watch the video and how quickly it can unveil um, with the fact that, you know, there was, a, there was an attempt towards an officer, there was a weapon involved, there was a few things. And I do believe that that sort of, not that he had the right to shoot him, three times but that also that that comes from a, a certain level of training that needs to be had in that kind of situation because there has been a violent altercation there has been a gunfire 
and you just can't understand the sort of mental element around that. Maybe, you know, if it's all a blur and the gunshot's gone and you see a knife, maybe he just decided to fire and mm. didn't really pay much attention to the fact that he was running away. He just gun out, fire at guy. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's always the danger, isn't it, if you have an armed police, whereas... You know, in our country, we have a bit more of a tradition of policing by consent, and so it's it's slightly less uh, authoritarian, although um, arguably it's moving more towards the American model of policing, which is a sort of almost a sort of paramilitary system of policing rather than civilian police officers. Um, but that might be a slightly larger discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think our police will end up getting guns? I don't think there's much appetite for that at the moment i think there's there's little uh, i'm not sure which party would champion that idea that's the thing um i don't think there's much political will for it in the long term the very long term yes I, i could see that being the thing that happens um but i think if anything now that the attitude of the public is moving more and more away from trusting police officers to make good decisions in this country. And uh, I think people would be less inclined to support police officers being armed than they would have been maybe five or 10 years ago. So I think there would need to be a a swinging of the pendulum back uh, and then people might be willing to let police run around with guns. But I think at the moment, it's it would be a very unpopular policy because I think it, people would say they're bad enough as they are. The last thing we want to do is give them a load of guns. Just to uh, get them keep their coshes. They have coshes, don't they? I don't know if they still do. Um, I, I I would hope so. I would hope they'd have those little sort of rubber baton things. I know obviously the riot police will have proper, you know, flick baton things, but the sort of 1920s style rubber little thing that you can sort of wave around. Truncheon. It, I thought it was wooden. I thought the truncheon was wooden because at the theatre, when we do a show, so we did a, a show called uh, Inspector Drake and the actual like sort of police outfit was the old stuff that an ex-police officer had uh, donated to the theatre. And there, I'm pretty sure there was a, a, a baton there and a, tr- a truncheon and it was wooden. It was like, it was like okay. a table leg. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can certainly see that being the case. I mean, that would seem, you know, that that would seem to make sense, wouldn't it? I just always assumed they were rubber, but I suppose particularly if you go back in time enough, then wood would make sense anyway, wouldn't it? It'd be much more readily available. Yeah, and no, no one would, you know, to be fair, they probably didn't care. Just beat you up with a table leg uh, wouldn't be much of a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, So, yeah, something for the Antiques Roadshow, that to see if I can find any wooden or rubber truncheons and find out what the history is yes tune in to bbc to watch mike whop out his truncheon on the antiques roadshow <laughs> yes you'll see me varnishing my wood and uh, having a lovely time with my truncheon so i'll move on to our next case so <laughs> you might have heard the uh the music so you and used to buy a dvd and at the start there'd be like an anti-piracy advert Oh yes, you that was like steal you a car, wouldn't steal you a car. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah. wouldn't. You wouldn't. I, I forget what some of the other ones were. I always remember you wouldn't steal a car. But yeah, what was the other one? So it was that you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't. You wouldn't steal a. You wouldn't steal a boat. I don't know. That's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, like how, if it starts with you wouldn't steal a car, where do you escalate to that? 
Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is quite a big, quite a big step, isn't it? Yeah, um, you wouldn't steal a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Because I'm just Wikipediaing it now, and you wouldn't steal a car has its own entry in Wikipedia, but um, the rest of it I can't immediately find. Well, anyway, the you wouldn't steal a car anti-piracy advertisement was pirated (laughs) 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 because it it actually turns out that the music on the anti-piracy advertisement at the start of of uh, films and dvds usually was a piece of music that was so in 2006 uh, a a company i'm guessing buma Stemra approached a Dutch musician, Malkior Rietveld, to write some music for an anti-piracy ad with the strict proviso, proviso that this music would be played only and exclusively at a local film festival. So Mr. Rietveld wrote the music, it was played, he got paid, all was well. But then in 2007, he bought uh, a copy of Harry Potter on DVD. <laughs> 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 and to his surprise... That was his music on the anti-piracy ad at the be- beginning. So his his composition had been taken and used without his permission. In fact, it had been illegally used on dozens of movies. It's got more than dozens. It used to be on like every yeah, movie in the standard, UK. Yeah. In the UK, at least, both in Holland and overseas. Uh, and I think eventually, um, he did manage to get some money back. There was a lot of back and forth, and people causing issues but uh, he finally reaped his rewards in 2012 six years after he originally composed the music it's kind of (laughs) ironic that the anti-piracy music was pirated and used well is it pirated does it count as pirated i mean is it just copyright but then is that not piracy i I suppose it's because piracy is one of those things that's sort of not that that's a slightly colloquial term i think now i mean obviously piracy is the thing exists still um but that's more in the context of you know piracy on the high seas um but yes i mean what you're dealing with with um you know people copying dvds is a is a sort of copyright infringement or an intellectual property infringement which i don't think is is technically called piracy um but that's just the kind of colloquialism for it head of interest was the harry potter film that the chap uh, watched and then realised that his thing was that his music was being pirated. Was it Harry Potter and the audacity of that advert? <laughs> yes, probably. I would say if it was what, what year? Let me check what year it was again. I, I forget the year that he discovered it, not the year that they started using it because they've been using it for a long time since then. Uh, it said uh, 2007. He bought a Harry Potter DVD. So what one was that? Ooh, probably like the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, probably. I, I, would say, right. I, I would say the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> because, oh, geez, that's a, that's a long time. Uh, wait. So that only came in in 2006, did it? Well, the advert. Yeah. See, I just always thought it would be, it was earlier than that. Maybe I've just yeah. been so scarred with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually managed to get the wording so it's you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a handbag, you wouldn't steal a television, you wouldn't steal a movie. Now, I might steal a movie. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that it's asking you. It's like, uh, it, it, it's it's making a lot of assumptions. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we all used to sort of tape stuff off the TV onto our cassette tapes, didn't we? And... Well, yeah, I used to, yeah, we used to be able to put a timer on the TV, long play video cassettes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would have thought if you were, you know, do, doing an anti-piracy educational film that you would be very careful to make sure that you had actually not pirated the elements of it. I mean, that's, that's outrageous, isn't it, really? To be fair, I used to, right, especially in that era, they were terrible pirate videos. Not that I've ever seen one, but if I was, had to have seen one. Um, <laughs> um, they were just bad they were just, but like when you think about some of the shit people would watch back back then, just to not pay a tenner to go to the cinema. I think isn't that yeah. one part of the reason they started dropping cinema prices again? Because I think they went up to like ridiculous amounts, or it seemed to be, and then mm. they dropped them down now to like something like ten pound or or around ten eleven pound. But I remember at one point it got a bit ridiculous, and no one was going to the cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? And now at least you can get lots of different options, so you can have a slightly cheaper cinema experience, or you can have, you know, the upgraded seats and three D and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I do think it's a difficult thing for cinemas, isn't it, as a business model? Because nowadays, you know, you can get a big TV at your house, and so it's very rare. I think you'd need to be a real sort of film aficionado to consider that you have to see something at the cinema rather than just enjoying it at home. And therefore the only options really for the cinema are, do we make things cheaper or do we try and offer things that you can't get at home? Hence the you know, 3d and the better chairs and whatever. Well, that, that's, that's always the thing that happened recently. So I watched, um, black widow, um, because someone had bought it already on their Disney plus. So I just watched it on their Disney plus, um, and got to watch black widow and didn't bother going to the cinema to see it. Just watched it at home on the TV. Whereas, uh, one of our friends went to the cinema to see it and he was like, oh, I've just come from the cinema to see black widow. And I was a bit like, why have you bothered? You know, why don't you just borrow Disney plus and watch it? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it hasn't done as well as, uh, I think uh, some of the other movies, if I, well, I'm sort of saying that off the cuff, just from a couple of things I've seen, but uh, because uh, you know a lot of people who bought from home, or at least it hasn't done well for the for the cinemas. I think they were hoping that you know a new Marvel film would be the sort of welcome back to the cinema experience that they had been waiting for uh, post lockdown, or at least ease of lockdown when the cinemas have have opened up and people aren't going to see Black Widow. No, that's right. And I, I think the problem is the industry is changing, isn't it? So it since really the start of cinema, there was a symbiotic relationship between filmmakers and cinemas because you would have to go to the cinema to watch a film. So it made sense for them to both kind of support each other. Whereas now, as you say, with streaming services like Disney+, Plus, there's actually no real business case, as I understand it, for producers of films to necessarily support cinema in the way that they did um, because they can now just arrange for things to be piped directly to the consumer and effectively cut the cinema out and that is to a large degree what they are doing um, I suppose in a in a different world uh, you would have had a circumstance in which cinemas were owned by the companies that make the films so you would have Disney cinemas or whatever and then, therefore there'd be slightly more of an incentive um, to woe back on streaming and that kind of stuff. But as it is, I think they've kind of taken the view that they can cut out the middleman and sell their product direct to the public. Well, I think it also depends on the film because there are some films I'm like, yes, I want to go to the cinema to see that. I have to be there. That's where I want to, to see this film. Where there are some films you're like, 
no, I don't really feel the need. It can just just be at home, you know. Like yeah. if it's just like a talky drama, why do you need to you know see it on a huge screen? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there are certain films, like the big kind of blockbusters, that are probably better. But um, as a general rule, um, there's just no need, is there really? So I think we can pretty much officially sound the death knell of cinema. You heard it here first on this podcast. Now, I'm Vivla Cinema. I will, I will be going back to the cinema. Um, I'll just have to just spend one week watching every film that's on at the cinema just to, <laughs> just to prop it up. I like going there. I love having to spend £5 on a drink. It's uh, one of my favourite yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's killed the cinema for me is the advent of uh, toffee popcorn that you can buy in shops now. So I used to love getting proper cinema popcorn, but actually they sell some pretty good bags of popcorn in Asda now. You've been able to buy toffee popcorn since I was about five. It hasn't been the same, same, dude. Put a kiss. No, but no, it's not the same. And there's a new, there's a brand I had the other month. In fact, that might have been better kiss thinking about it. But anyway, it was really good and it was just like cinema popcorn. And I was like, oh, I never need to go to the cinema again now. I think I know what you're about. You're on about the one, the big bags that we had here when we watched the That's football. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what it was. I think that was Sainsbury's or something. Or Morrison's. It was I really good, remember. though. And uh, that was the only thing that was really making me love the cinema, actually, was getting a big bag of popcorn and chowing down. But now I can just do that at home in the, in the comfort of my own house. So I don't really need the cinema. Yeah. To be fair, I can discuss cinema and movies forever. I, I watched about three weird ass movies yesterday, just in like one sitting. Watched a film. What was called... the weirdest one you watched? Um, I watched a film called Mandy, Nicholas Cage affair. Oh, okay. Not um, the story of Barry Manilow. <laughs> no, 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 and not MDMA either. Although I'm pretty sure um, the whole movie is like it's on MDMA. It, it's a revenge movie. It's, it's a pretty straightforward revenge movie, but it's filmed in such a it's filmed like you're tripping bollocks. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's really good. It's a bit like it came out at a similar time near like the color out of space. So ah, it's right. Like, you know, one of, one of the good Nicolas Cage movies that he makes. He occasionally, for every three shit films he makes, makes a, a good one. And, and his, he, he wor- it works very, very well for him. And I also saw a film called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is on Netflix. And, um, that was, that was crazy. I mean, I'm not even going to spoil it for anyone, but I would suggest if you like movie and you've got some tolerance, not because it's gory, but just, you know, just sit down and watch this movie and message in to let me know what you think it was about. And what's that name again? I'm thinking of ending things. It's on Netflix. There we go. So, and if uh, you haven't seen The Colour Out of Space, you should watch that as well. Colour Out of Space, yeah, really good film as well. But that that is a kind of like... That does have some pretty messed up bits in it, so uh, yes, you have to be a bit be a bit of a horror fan to watch that one, and a Lovecraft fan, obviously. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'll move on from there. We'll, that'll be for our new podcast. Uh, Mike and Dean discuss cinema. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do that thing of where you watch a film and I haven't watched a film, but you and I both have the same level of strength of opinion about the film, <laughs> yeah. even though I'm coming at it from a point of view of zero knowledge. Yeah. You've read the blurb and that's about it. Exactly. Exactly. Read one review and then decided that I know everything about the film. <laughs> and make sure the review's off like Amazon. It's not even like, it's not even, like <laughs> it's a, just, it's not yeah. even an official review. No, it's from like Bob Potatoes on Amazon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's like, didn't like it, and that was it. That was <laughs> that's his entire review. Very <laughs> critique. Uh, exactly. <laughs> So we'll move on to I Call Bullshit. So this week's I Call Bullshit. I'll just read you the idea. So it's a floor polisher hospital deaths. In sorry, South Africa, doctors were coming in and finding that patients had died because it seemed that their machines were malfunctioning. But actually what had happened was it turned out that an inattentive janitor caused several deaths in the hospital when he kept disconnecting the patient's life support machine to plug in the floor polisher. <laughs> and then plugging it back in. Now, I have heard this account in numerous different guises. I hadn't heard about it happening in South Africa. And that makes me wonder if it's actually bullshit, because it seems like I, I've got enough experience now with these bullshit stories to know that they sort of evolve a little bit with little facts being added and things. And so I wonder if actually this is a bit of an urban myth. And now the South African variant, if you will, has um, now been added in. <laughs> so um, I- I'm, I'm going to say it's bullshit. And I'm also going to ask you if you have ever used a floor polisher. Okay. It is bullshit. Yeah, it is a <laughs> massive urban myth that, again, I've ah. heard. This has actually been sent in, I was about to say, by one of our listeners, but she was also our guest two weeks ago. Uh, Rebecca sent this uh, in ah. to me. So, yes, it's a massive urban myth. And no, I haven't used a floor polisher before. I have used one, and um, they are very unruly, to say the least. Um, (laughs) It is surprising the amount of force you need to kind of keep it in place, because obviously you want to kind of polish in a consistent way up and down, say, a, a hall or whatever. But the thing, because it's a rotating disc and it just rotates really, really quickly, the thing naturally wants to just spin around. So you actually have to put quite a lot of effort into keeping it kind of level um, and uh, moving it around. It's not as easy as it as it may seem. Do you have a floor uh, polisher? I, I do not, but I used to work during <laughs> during my school days. I used to work as a cleaner um, after school, and so occasionally, I think sort of once a, a term or something, somebody would have to polish the uh, the school hall because that was a sort of high varnish thing. And uh, it was the kind of thing that A, would always go wrong and quite often B, would result in either the floor or the polisher or both being completely destroyed. But that's <laughs> what comes The of... polisher, become... it's not the person. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, like, the polisher as in, like, the, like, as in the item. Christ, what, yes. what happened in your school? I was like... <laughs> He's like, yes, occasionally we'd lose so many people on the cleaning team. He'd just be completely destroyed. But yeah, he, he, he had a lovely sheen in his coffin. <laughs> um, yes, it was always either the, the floor or the unit uh, rather than the operator. The operator tended to be okay. But this is what comes of entrusting relatively heavy machinery to sort of 16-year-olds. Um, it's just not going to work, is it? <laughs> so, yes, this is false. Um and it's actually an origin. Its origin is from the nineties, like early internet oh. sort of story. And yeah, I've heard this. I mean, I can't specify where, but I've definitely heard this idea quite a few times. But so this is collected from the internet uh, from nineteen ninety six. Uh, so for several months, our nurses have been baffled to find a dead patient in the same bed every Friday. 
<laughs> I mean, you already know it's bollocks from the minute it starts, don't you? In the same bed, like, like the deathbed. A spokeswoman for the Polonomi Hospital, Free State, South Africa, told reporters there was no apparent cause for any of the deaths and extensive checks on the air conditioning system and a search for possible bacterial infection failed to reveal any clues. However, further inquiries... Inquiries? I don't know. I just turned into... <laughs> Further inquiries. inquiries. We need to make some urgent inquiries. We've been talking about film so much and I've turned into Jonathan Ross. Um, (laughs) However, further inquiries have now revealed the cause of these deaths. It seems that every Friday morning a cleaner would enter the ward, remove the plug that powered the patient's life support system, plug her floor polisher into the vacant socket, then go about her business. And when she had finished her chores, she would plug the life support machine back in and leave, unaware that the patient was now dead. She could not, after all, hear the screams and eventual death rattle over the whirring of her polisher. And, and this is this is another thing. That <laughs> They're not is, that loud. Yeah. Well, well, maybe she had her headset in. In what, 1993, what would you get? Her, her Walkman. Oh, I suppose. Um, or mini disc player if you mini disc player yes yeah. she she was she was cutting edge uh well no she can't be that cutting edge she doesn't know how a plug works um <laughs> but we are sorry and have sent <laughs> so this is the punishment for murdering uh many people we are sorry and have sent a strong letter to the cleaner in question <laughs> <laughs> Further, the Free State Health and Welfare Department is arranging for an electrician to fit an extra socket, so there should be no repetition of this incident. The inquiry is now closed. So that's the the original story that started this whole thing. I would have thought that in a hospital you would have something on on the plugs for things like life support machines that would say, life support machine, do not unplug. Um, I don't know if, if any of our listeners have ever worked in a hospital, but let us know if that's the case. Well, I would also think that maybe, possibly, that the machines themselves might have some sort of backup. Well, that's like Backup true. power system in case anything was to go down. Like, let's say there was a power cut. So surely these systems have to have some sort of back. I mean, the hospital might have like a backup generator, but maybe some of these machines can keep themselves online for like an hour. I don't know why I have this feeling like that is something that exists, and maybe I'm just completely wrong. And maybe again I'm being warped by cinema, etc. But I'm thinking, wouldn't that make sense? And if that hasn't happened, then there's a million dollar idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly think that should be the case because otherwise, as you say, every time there's a power cut, it would just be a massacre, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, because well, yeah, depending on how long it is. Like I say, the hospital might have a backup generator, but you wouldn't leave it. To, you wouldn't risk it. You you think these machines could hold some charge for a little while while people can get to them and put other things in place or try and sort something out. Well, yeah, or you'd have you know members of staff running around desperately trying to stick twelve AA batteries in the back of every uh, life support machine every <laughs> twenty minutes before they ran out of juice. So yeah, there must be some provision for that. So there there were other versions. There's one 2003, there's a case in one hospital intensive care ward where patients always died in the same bed again. So regardless of their medical condition, well, I would say critical medical condition if it's intensive care, this puzzled the doctors and some even thought it had something to do with the supernatural. What? (laughs) Like, Did they find a carved coconut in the corner of the room? It's like, uh, yeah, what do you say, like, 
imagine like the doctor's like, oh, people keep coming to A&E and they keep dying in A&E. It's the devil. <laughs> like straight away, like, like any form of like research into it. I mean, that's something yeah, supernatural. Yeah, slightly more uh, on the ball. Well, you'd keep an eye on it, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. keep an eye on the room to make sure nothing happened. After about the fifth one, well, way before that, after the second or third, you'd definitely be keeping an eye on what's, what, what is the... Uh, the ongoing factor that's causing these deaths. Yeah. Uh, a worldwide team of experts were assembled to investigate the cause <laughs> of the incidents. The next Sunday morning, a few minutes after 11am, all the doctors and nurses nervously waited outside the ward to see for themselves what the terrible phenomenon was all about. Uh, some were holding wooden crosses, prayer books, and other holy objects to ward off the evil spirits. Just when the clock struck 11, Pookie Johnson, the part-time Sunday sweeper, <laughs> entered the ward and unplugged the life support system so that he could use the vacuum cleaner. I mean, fuck, like, oh. <laughs> Pookie yes. Johnson. He was the evil spirit all along. Is it, that, I mean, this is that's some Scooby Doo shit. That is, yeah, absolutely. That does, uh, yeah, that's absolute nonsense, and I love it. But yeah, but and it's just really weird how that's taken. I mean, I don't think that would get the same sort of credence today as it would then. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, well, then again, we have read some crazy stories, but I think the fact that this mm. started in early internet, you know, uh, mid nineties to early noughties where it was these kind of things you, you didn't really fully comprehend the bit the ability for misinformation on the internet no. <laughs> but um there you know loads of children like one of them an article reportedly from the 1996 cape times now now what, what what do you think you would use as the headline for this in a paper um cleaner given strongly worded letter following multiple deaths. <laughs> as catchy as that is, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you chose barrister work rather than journalism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, no, no, this is it. Cleaner polishes off patients. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. That's a good one, isn't it? That's why they pay him the big bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it was sort of circulated in a South African newspaper as well, like a small, obviously one that didn't do any actual work um, and just made <laughs> stuff up. Yeah, it's it, that's it. it. So it is a false story. That I mean, to be fair, it could only really happen once if it was going to happen. I, I just thought it was it was a, a thing that happened, but it's just a level of stupidity, isn't it? Like you, you, <laughs> you, you would just know. It, it wouldn't. A, it wouldn't get as far as they were saying. You definitely wouldn't get the one with the crosses and, uh, you know, everybody likes throwing holy water in there. And it's just, it's like plays on the stereotype that, you know, they're janitors, so they must be stupid. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought sort of day one of janitorial training would be do not unplug anything apart from, you know, using these specific plugs, sockets or whatever. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think I it mean, does slightly rely on them. It plays into the to the mindset that they're completely oblivious about what kind of building they're in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like she's like, "Where do you clean?" I don't know. Some place, a lot of people asleep. There's a <laughs> some sort of hotel. Yeah, some computers around, some uh, bee boops and things, and uh, I just plug it in and clean the floor. No idea. Yeah. 
Like they've yeah. never been in a hospital before, never seen anyone in a hospital before, <laughs> and have absolutely no idea how it works. Yeah, and the other thing is you don't need to polish a floor every day. That's absurd. Yeah, I think the second one, though it decided to not sound so realistic by saying that they got a, a bunch of experts that came in and all the nurses were sat there ready to ward off the devil. At least Ooh. that was playing it in a sort of, uh, it, it seemed like it was more of a weekly occurrence. <laughs> and he was vacuuming as well, which is slightly different. I guess that has to be done yeah. a little bit more. But yeah, the polisher, um, I think you just know after the first one was dead. You just know. You'd be like, what is the link here that has happened today? Oh, wait, the polisher was in every single one of these rooms. Or just this, I mean, why is this polisher, this polisher is so stupid that they're unplugging the machine that's keeping someone alive. Why is it always just the one bed in the one room? Like, is that a, a job? She just gets hired to polish the one room? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose there might be sort of free sockets in the other rooms, and then uh, that just happens to be the room where there's nothing free. It was so actually- she's like, well... That's it. The NHS was struggling, so they uh, they just turned a cupboard that had one plug socket into it into an ICU unit, and uh, <laughs> and then but I just said ICU unit, even though ICU is intensive care unit, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, pin number, isn't it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I saw a good joke about uh, ID, and then where he, I think it was a guy called Norm McDonald that he said that the D does all the heavy work in ID because the first, the I stands for I, and the D <laughs> stands for identification. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I can see that the D certainly does the heavy lifting there. <laughs> yes, yes. So enough about the D. We will uh, <laughs> we will end today's episode there. Uh, do you have anything to say to anyone before we leave, Mike? Not really. Just sort of keep enjoying the hot weather. Um, be safe. Drink lots of water. And if you have a little doggo, make sure that you don't take it out in the heat and burn its little paws because that'd be a tragedy. Yes, and uh, they mean accidentally burn its little paws on the ground. I mean, no one should ever take a dog out and burn its paws. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that is also good advice. But speaking of that, I'm going to go feed my cat also. So thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you tune in again next week for another episode of Holding Court. Goodbye, everybody. If you know of any strange court or legal cases you would like us to discuss on the show, feel free to email us at holding.court.com at outlook.com.